I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the schemes and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. This is gonna feel real good, alright? Most dope. Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Happy New Year. We're here at the Wildfire Radio Studios for Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. It is a new year. Uh, It's the same four of us. We have a jam-packed show. Uh, Of course, Dave Haxtall, what are you doing, is probably going to take up a large majority of the time. Uh, just, Just spoiler alert. I'm pro Dave Haxtall. Uh, Another spoiler alert. I might be agreeing with Mike Milbury later. This is called a tease. This is how we get people to listen to the whole show. This is how we get people to shut it off. This is how we get people to listen to the whole... No, they all want you to yell at me. It's how it goes. Steph is definitely going to be taking out the (laughs) anti-Haxtell side. (laughs) Just a little... So uh, the Flyers are—they're uh, back from the holiday break. They—they've uh, lost three straight. Well, they're 0 two and one. They got that—they got that loser point in the shootout uh, on uh, what was last night? Sunday? Sure. Sunday night? Yeah. Well, I have no idea. Let me introduce you to the panel. They've been talking over my intro already because I asked them questions before I say their names. First and foremost, my broadcast partner in crime, Stephalicious D. Steph Driver. William. Stephanie. You know what I'd really love. What's that? If people stopped talking about how many more games the Flyers have played than anybody else in the Metropolitan. So they've played 39 games. The Rangers have played 39 games. Pittsburgh, 38. New Jersey, 37. They're actually playing right now, which would be 38. Washington, Carolina, New York Islanders, all 36. Columbus, 35. So there was a point in the season where they were incredibly far ahead of everybody else. But that's not right now. So when you're talking about the standings and, oh, the Flyers have played so many more games, it's not really true anymore. Okay. And they got the bye week coming up in like two or three weeks. Flyers. Perfect. So that'll just help everybody catch up a little bit more. And then we really won't need to talk about this ever again. Ever again. And then when they're so far behind in the standings, we can all just be like, well, they really squandered that 10-game win streak, huh? I'm already thinking that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and that beautiful voice you just heard was Kelly Hinkle. I always want to call it, I'm always about to call you Kelly O. Hinkle, and then I remember that's, he's got the O, not you. Yeah, you can't just put O's in front of yeah. everyone's name. That, I, know, I know what the Flyers do with those stupid t-shirts, but. <laughs> I love those shirts. Oh, yeah. You can call me Kelly O. Hinkle when we get to St. Patrick's Day. You know what I would love, Stephanie? Well, please tell me. If we never tried to make another Winter Classic south of Philadelphia happen. Why? Because I don't like it. (laughs) Not even like Washington? No. Okay. um, I'll get into it later. No, tell me. I got a lot of words. Give me a snippet. Let me hear it now. So here's the thing about the Winter Classic, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So they really stumbled onto something here, something that could actually get a casual non-hockey fan to watch a game of hockey. You know what gets people watching an outdoor game of hockey? Snow. Snow. Cold weather. All right. Well, there's never going to be snow again, like I know south that, of Canada. So <laughs> I'm just saying. There was in what remember, was it Detroit a couple years yeah, ago? That was a that good one. was awesome. 
when you think about the Winter Classic, the one that you think about is Penguins Buffalo in Buffalo. It was beautiful. Yeah. Wonderful. Perfect. We need to stop trying to make it happen in 50 degrees. I think it's just about honoring great fan bases. Even in Philly... It was yesterday, or t- it was today. It was fifty degrees today and raining. Yeah, like it would have been too warm here. Yeah, it anyway. would have been. It happens. That's the beauty of an outdoor game. No, nah, you deal with the I elements. Disagree. No, I, I, I really, I like what you're saying. I like snow. In 1991, they played an outdoor game in Las Vegas at Puck Drop. It was 85 degrees. It went on without a hitch, sounds, except like sounds gross. Some. Uh, there were some bug issues and like a couple, <laughs> yeah, couple, yeah but, without a hedge, except you know, the fact they didn't get the game done. But. And then the ice so, was from that. The game played fine. Bit, yeah, okay. Somebody made a mistake caring for the ice, but everything else went uh, off without a hitch. I went, it's totally doable. I want to do. I can't wait for the, uh, the Coyotes to get an outdoor home game. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Listen, I know that you can do it. I'm just saying that it should not be done. Because if the point of this game is to bring in casual fans, you're not going to do it with just a boring, regular game with nothing to look at but players playing outside. I don't think it's to bring in casual fans. I, I think, think it it's is. to draw 50,000 people was. to a stadium. Well, I think, I think the counterpoint to that is, are you going to get casual fans in large traditional hockey markets, which are further north? I don't think that anybody... I don't think that if, if someone's stumbling upon a Winter Classic game, which also needs to be on January 1st, but that's a whole other thing. I thought it, I thought it was on January 1st. The Centennial they, Classic was they played had it, on January 1st. Yeah, they had a different, better outdoor hockey <laughs> yeah. game yesterday. Which was in cold weather? In, well, I don't think it was very cold in Toronto either, but no. either way. Um, but the American market won't go up against NFL Sunday, so they, right. did, it. they did the Toronto one. Right, but I, I just feel Christ. like that with the Winter Classic being on NBC on a Sunday, on a holiday, you have an opportunity to draw people in who wouldn't watch otherwise, and you're losing that when you don't have a I think it's all about bringing 50,000 people into a stadium, or more. You think that's all it is? Yeah. It's just for the people there. There's there's no larger... There, right. there should be, but they've kind of killed that by there's having, no what, such like, thing. six... Outdoor games a well, year. Well, that's the thing. There's, there's no ca- too many. Yeah. There are yeah. no casual fans of anything. Yeah, there um, are. Everything no, there is are. a niche market. Well, let's that, we that can is, get into that, that is later. Objectively, not true. <laughs> <laughs> we can get into that. Everybody later. watches what they want to watch. They're not. Nobody, that is not true. That's do you not know? True. After Flyers games the next day, do you know how long my TV is sat on one of those CSN infomercials? Hours, because I couldn't get up and get the remote. Do you know how to many people just care about the NBA in the playoffs? Like half the NBA fan base. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I don't really care about 140 or however many baseball games, but I always watch the playoffs because they're fun. Because they're casual fans, casual and the NHL's the NHL's uh, ratings go do what in the in the playoffs? I mean, they get Those, better. They get that's better. Your ca- that's your casual base right there. They get better. I mean, the only way better. to create new hockey fans is to actually make new hockey fans, which is why I love expanding into new markets like Las Vegas. Everybody. Who's been exposed to hockey at this point has an opinion about it. Again, this is a disagree. This is this is a disagreement. You can you can continue introducing us. Oh yeah, sorry, Charlie. <laughs> Charlie's here too, guys. The observation man himself, Charlie <laughs> O'Connor. So I'd like to make make a statement here about <clears throat> penalties, specifically boarding penalties. Can we please end? Any other possibility of there ever being an embellishment call on a boarding penalty, either 
it's a boarding penalty, and the guy who got boarded should be basically taken care of because he might have got concussed. He got sent face first into the boards, or he turned at the last minute, and it's not a penalty. You can't say, oh, he got boarded, but then he made it look worse than it was. He just went face first into the boards. You can't make that look worse than what it was. I will agree with you on principle, but I will say I've seen a guy in this town who wears a C on his chest at number 28 try to put his team on the power play by launching himself into the board's face first more than once. But it's not a regular thing. Like, dives on hook and trips are are pretty, like, that's a pretty common occurrence. Yes. It doesn't happen a lot, embellishment on boarding. But I heard, I I actually heard that part of the game on the radio. I was in the car for like five minutes. It was infuriating. I heard the call was just absolutely asinine. It was horrible. It was was really bad. I asked my friends who were like not Flyers fans when I got, because the radio calls the radio. I can't believe they called embellishment. I was like, he could have jumped like a professional wrestler and the guy on the radio (laughs) would. But uh, yeah. No, it was, uh, what we're talking about is is Travis Konechny got called for embellishment after he literally went face first into the boards. They snapped his head back and they call it because he snapped his head back but like he already got hit into the boards it was already an obvious penalty like okay was it possible that he snapped his head back to try to draw it yeah maybe but that's not embellishment the penalty was a penalty like I it was actually a blatant hate, penalty yeah I actually hate that in general I don't like that if you call a trip you can't also call a dive he either was tripped yeah or he dove he can't do both. But that's why both. it's not called diving, it's called embellishment. Nah. You're trying to you're trying to fool the referee or you're trying to make sure he calls it, which is all well and good. Sidney Crosby's the best at it and he's one of the best players in the league. <laughs> that was yeah, mentioned JJ on the podcast. Had, yeah, JJ had a really good line after that. I yeah, it my was pretty good. my buddy told me about that when yeah. I got to his house. He's like, "Yeah, he just ripped Crosby." I'm like, "Well, we have to in this town." Uh, I want to take this opportunity. Again, my name is Bill Matz. I will be your director of fun and games for the evening. I want to take this opportunity to praise the outstanding coaching of Randy Carlisle. I have said someone for the first time ever. <laughs> I've never seen anything like what he did. He pulled Gibson last John Gibson, the, the, the goaltender for the Ducks, he pulled him, took him out for like three and a half minutes, and then put him back in. And after the game, they, he was asked about it because Gibson and Carlisle exchanged words on the bench. And he said, I'm glad he was upset about it because I didn't tell him I was putting him back in. And I basically used that as an extra timeout. I think that's a great move that I've, I think I've only seen it done like once, like a goalie get pulled and then go back in and it was in like an AHL game in 98. So I think it's novel, but like it worked. Okay. Well here, let's look at it this way though. It's novel. It never, really never seen anybody do it, but you assume your backup goalie is worse than your starting goalie. So what if during that three minute period before he could get his better goalie back in, the backup goalie gave up a goal? How do you explain that to your team? How do you say like, oh, well, I had this brilliant idea to call a timeout, so I put the worst goalie in and then we gave up a key goal. Then you look like a complete moron. I mean, but by that logic, you should never play your third and fourth line. I mean, you should limit your minutes of your third and fourth lines, yes. So you use your backup goalie just to like get the team fired up. Be like, wow, he pulled our starter. Like, no, for... you just be really confused. I think uh, it, it seems to work. Like any time a goalie pulls is pulled for momentum, like the team answers. No, I'm, I'm more talking about if you pull a goalie and then bring him back in five minutes later. The team's just like, okay, that that's weird. And any any quote unquote momentum that you got from the pull is just totally confused because I'm like, okay, well now you're putting the guy back in. What what? Did, did our coach lose his mind? Is he crazy? That's, that, that's what he I'd is. be thinking if I'm on the bench. I have a theory, given that Randy Carlisle is a man confused by toasters. <laughs> and that theory... Is this a real thing that he's confused by toasters? Yes. Because you keep saying it. 
It was on 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> he was attempting to toast bread, and the whole process confounded him. He couldn't figure out how to do it. That's, no, it's definitely a thing. It's a thing. You need so, to just Google that's it. That's why he's got home. a wife. I think, I think Gibson yelled uh, at him. You guys didn't take that bait? And he no. got, I think that Continue. he got yelled at, and he got a little scared, because he's a, a small little man. And then he said, oh, I better put him back in, or he's going to yell at me again. And I'll have to make So toast. we're sure that Gibson did not have the poops? Uh, We're sure he didn't appear to have the poops the way he was yelling okay. at yeah, Carlisle. He, okay. he he didn't seem which is I mean it got the goalie all fired. I it worked. He made fifty one saves. That doesn't mean it's a great coaching move. It's it's all right. Well, it, I did this dumb thing and it just happened. It was to a work unique out. coaching happened move. I wouldn't necessarily call it a great coaching move. It worked. Yeah, let's not give Haxtell any ideas. Okay. Speaking of Dave Haxtell and great coaching. He sits Travis Konechny. Oh, boy. The next game, Konechny comes in, ends a 22-game goalless drought. Great coaching move. Motivated his player. What do the smart people say, Charlie? Causation. Correlation is not equal causation. Yeah, that's the one. They do do indeed say that sometimes. All right. So, I'm going to break this down. All of the things that went through my head when this happened. Can't wait to talk to Bill about this. Murder. Well, so it was actually, I wasn't even mad. I was laughing. She's actually not mad. I'm actually not mad. But no, I did laugh because I think we've made that joke um, on this show before that he's going to scratch Konechny because he does these things that nobody expects because they're unprecedented. Because we fall in love with our own guys. Because they're good players. Like, there's nobody in the league that's going to tell you that Travis Konechny is not a good hockey player. There's nobody in the league that, league that would tell you Jonathan Druin isn't a good hockey player. But he got sent to the AHL. Like, right. He well, was scratched, well, yeah, but I mean, sent to the AHL. That, like, that was And what happened? Something. It all worked. Well, they, it was, they didn't because they, didn't. Were, they were absent a really good player for half the season because they were being obstinate and stupid. Or he and wasn't was ready. Maybe he just needed things. to not be there. There was a lot of other background stuff happening there. What if like, Travis Konechny just didn't show up? Like he was very poorly advised. What if Travis Konechny has been told to do something by Dave Haxtell on several occasions, and he isn't, and he just isn't? It's not something he's been able to accomplish. Like what? I don't know, Steph. I'm not the coach of the team. Like score a goal? Is no, that, like, not even <laughs> score a goal. Travis Konechny, you have to go out there and score a goal or you're not going to play what in the next game. What if it has just something simple, like defensive zone coverage or what he does in the neutral zone or how he passes, what he does when he has the puck. Any number of things that we're not privy to because we don't know about the private conversations that go on between Dave Haxtell and his sure. players. Sure, What if there's one thing he's just been telling him to do and said, all right, you need a night off to well, see, to see what I'm telling you to do because it's the only way you're going to learn if your only leadership move if you're if your leadership iron fist move is you're going to sit a game because you're not listening to me you obstinate piece of shit like but what if if it's not that big a deal what if it's you clearly aren't you're not putting the best product on the ice it's a big fucking deal for one game, it's yes, a yes, bi- it's a big yeah, deal, yeah. and they it lost. And they deal. they looked terrible. Not only did they lose, he hadn't he scored in twenty two games. The, 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 <laughs> the game before, he had two points. 
the game before you had two points. So you, that just doesn't matter. You, no, you don't. You don't need to score goals to be helping the team. And just because you have two assists, that means you had two good shifts. And what about the other eighteen? Where maybe on all of those if shifts, didn't, if he didn't have those assists, did they win that game? They lost that game. Did they lose? They that lost game? that game. Well, they I just had the two goals. There's no way to be able to judge it and say he's wrong. There's no well, way to say it's can, wrong. Can I get through my list? I didn't even start with my list before <laughs> you started screaming at me about it. So my list began with, I'm not as mad about this one as I am, as I was about the ghost one. And maybe that was because ghost is not a rookie and ghost is the second best defenseman that we have and our defensive core is a disaster so you're going to really put the team at a disadvantage by sitting ghost for a game um the next thought was hmm i wonder when they're gonna scratch ivan provorov which was another thing that got me giggling um (laughs) but ivan provorov is playing very well is he though yeah is he not not so much from an advanced stats standpoint, even though we all agree. Because he's playing with Andrew yeah. McDonald, well, and those ah. numbers aren't everything. Travis well, those numbers aren't everything. Travis Connecting well. is playing with Braden Shedd. Who's at center. And Gossis Bear was playing with Andrew McDonald, too. And Andrew McDonald was playing substantially worse than Gossis Bear. And Gossis Bear got scratched. And Andrew McDonald came back in the lineup. Like, right. So that that's my point. So I can get on board with the idea that sometimes you scratch a guy to teach him something that he's missing out on, but it doesn't seem to be applied across the board with this coach. There are obviously other players making mistakes that we can see both on the ice and on the statue. There's sheets. nothing you can teach Andrew McDonald at this point. He's just so a bad player. So so okay. So I I think I said something like this on Twitter. So. What we're going to do is we're going to punish the guys who are good Time by out. teaching them lessons, by putting them in the corner. And then we say, well, the bad guys are just so shitty that they can't be helped. We'll give them top line minutes. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> Doesn't seem like a very intelligent It seems strategy. pretty stupid, right? I, but- what if it's not a punishment? What if, novel, novel thought here, the coach knows that this is a town of crazy people. <laughs> And his nineteen and his nineteen year old rookie that everyone's already bought his jersey and anointed the next superstar of this team. What if he just needed a night off? What if his legs were just dragging a little? What if he showed up to the morning skate and was like, "Ah, coach, I'm just like I, I just I got a little stomach bug or something." What if he's just making something up? Oh, it's a teaching experience. Well, see, the- what if he's just covering for a guy who needed a night off? That's that would be possible, and I would be more open to that possibility if he hadn't already scratched. Ghost. Michael Roffel and Gosses Bear this year for a similar teaching experience type of reason. Didn't they just come off a six game or six day break too? Or yeah, five game break? You don't know. Day. I Bill, I see what you're getting at in that like we don't know what's going on in the you know, in the locker room, in the in the you know, in the video study room. We don't see what Haxall sees. I agree with that. There's really two ways you break this down. The first way is, did the move help the Flyers in the game of connecting with Scratch? And 100% that answer is no. 100%, the Flyers were a worse team because Travis Konechny wasn't in the lineup. Because Travis Konechny is a good player. Travis Konechny is substantially better than Boyd Gordon, who checked in kind of as a result of Konechny being scratched. So you, you, you took a pretty big hit from a roster construction standpoint with Konechny out of the game. So that, that's number one. Objectively speaking, it was a dumb move for that one game. The justification of the move is basically that you think Travis Connecting would be a better player in the long term by being scratched, by being given a chance to look at things, by being given a chance to, you know, see from you know from up high to to reevaluate his game and come back strong. And it's possible. Like it's possible, but it's 
it's impossible to un- it's impossible to know one way or the other whether the reason why Travis Konechny scored in this game was because he got scratched or was it because he just was going to score because he was playing pretty well. That's the thing. Like It would be a different story if Travis Konechny was playing poorly. Travis Konechny was breaking even from a puck possession standpoint. He was creating opportunities for his line mates. He was still he was still shooting. He was still creating shots. The puck just wasn't going in the net. Can he get better defensively? Of course he can. He's 19 years old. He's still not that great defensively. But the points were going to come, in my opinion, regardless of whether he got scratched or not. So if you trust Haxtell and you trust his developmental tactics then fine, you can say, eh, maybe it made sense. I do worry that you're overusing this tactic, though. I mean, this is the fourth time over the past two years, over the Hackstall regime, where he's benched a guy for a game and then brings it back in. At what point do the players just start saying, oh, it's just Hackstall being stupid again and scratching one of us, and then it doesn't have an impact. If you do it once a year, maybe, to one guy, then it's a big deal. If you're doing it now the third time in the first half of a season, I, you you risk getting the players to tune you out. What? And here's here's part of my question for you, Charlie. First, what other recourse does a coach have other than playing time? Cut his minutes. Put him on the fourth line. Put him with Belmore and Vandevelde. That's at least that, that's at least a punishment where he stays in the like stays in the roster, but got seven minutes that game. I could buy that and and say you have to show me more defensively on the ice in a game before I move you back up. That to me is fair. So okay, so all right, so Travis Konechny struggles defensively. We're gonna put him out with two guys where he will be pinned in his own zone the whole time, and that's not making the team worse. Well, it's not making it as bad as if he wasn't in the lineup at all. I think it's the exact same thing. I definitely disagree. I guess maybe he could accidentally block a shot and take it for a breakaway well, and score. He's being given more chances to play defense and more chances to show that he's working on the Second defense. part of my question, Charlie, is you've spent some time in the press box, as have I. You've also followed hockey your, like for a long time. I have learned more from watching games in the press box over the last two, three years than I ever did playing the game. And... Granted, I'm not great. Never had a coach tell me like really what to do ever. Uh, but like, I think it can just be a forest through the trees thing. Like the only way to see the big picture and understand what the coach is talking about is not to be told on the bench and then fall into your old habits because you're out there and you're just doing what you think you should do. It's not to see it on film because you're seeing there and watching it on TV. It's to be there, have your ice time taken away, and take in the entire situation. Maybe it's it's it it doesn't hurt like unless you're killing a guy's confidence, it's not going to kill him to sit up in the press box for a game. But if it's this if this is the silver bullet tactic that is going to help, you know, help every young player in the world get better at what they do. Why doesn't every coach do it? Why does this just? Why does this seem like it's just a Haxtell thing? Why don't you see Mike Babcock scratching his young players every other game? Like this is a Dave Haxtell thing. Haxtell thinks it works, but I don't think this is a, this is a silver bullet tactic that you know Dave Haxtell has found the secret to developing young players. He likes to do this. He thinks it works. Does it actually work? I don't know. And whether you think it works or it doesn't probably depends on your trust in Dave Haxtell. And it's fair to it's fair to trust him. It's fair not to. But I don't think it's cut and dry either way. But the only thing that is cut and dry is that they put a worse team out on the ice against the Sharks and they didn't score a goal without their best five-on-five score. Also, Michael Roffel isn't like a young rookie. Like, No. No, he's not. And also, I find it hard to believe that Konechny and Roffel and Ghost Bear have just like shitty attitudes and need 
to learn lessons. It could have nothing to do with the attitude. It could just be not grasping a concept. You have a lot of things you're told to do when you're out on the ice. It's not free skate out there. Yeah. If there's just one thing that a player is consistently missing, not even like not even saying this coach is an idiot. I'm not going to do that. Just a, a responsibility or a concept that he is not grasping. Maybe the only way to show it to him is to say, "Go up there and watch." Watch somebody else do what I'm telling you to do, and you're just not executing. Yeah, but if, if he's had to do that to four guys over a year and a half, I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, I like Dave Haxel as a coach. I like his systems. I think on the whole, he is a good coach. But if you've had now had to do that to four guys over the course of a year and a half, you haven't been able to get through to them with any other recourse aside from scratching him, maybe that speaks to the teaching ability of the coach. And I'm that, at, was, that was another one of my points. Like, I'm, how good of a leader can you be? How good of a, of a teacher can you be if that's the only move that you're going to? I am at break even with, with Dave Haxtell in terms of my confidence in him. I don't know if he's a very good coach yet because I, I, it's... It's a lot like the uh, it's a lot like the Sixers. I don't know what kind of coach Brett Brown is because he just doesn't have the talent. I will see when the reinforcements get here if if Dave Haxtell is a good coach. I will tell you who I do have trust in, and it's Ron Hextall. And I see a lot of other organizations when this stuff starts to happen, it's just nonstop. Oh, the GM, the owner, the coach, none of them are on the same page. It's just like these little leaks of drama and. That isn't what I'm hearing out of this organization. We'll get into Ghost in a little bit, but I read some quotes today about like Ghost and how going back to the scratch and how he's played since then and his point totals. Haxtell and Hextall are saying the same things. And Ghost, for his part, is kind of saying the same thing as well. So maybe it, it, it has worked and we just don't get it because we're outside. I'm not saying Dave Haxtell's a great coach. I just happen to believe he might not be wrong on this one. It's it's possible he's not wrong on this one. I guess my point is basically that if we think he's right, we can't really prove it. What we can prove is that there was a worse team on the ice because of this decision for one game that they lost. Would they have won with Travis connecting the lineup? I don't think so, but they probably would have had a better chance. And we're talking about, you know, maybe Maybe they had a 38% chance without connecting in the lineup, and they would have had a 40% chance with him in the lineup. It's not dramatically moving the needle, but it, it moves the needle. And the Flyers, as you said a few minutes ago, they're not that far out of, you know, falling out of a playoff spot. Like, there's, this is not, they're not in a position where they can afford to be just dropping games on principle. They have to be trying to squeeze out every point. Yeah, and the the whole, they put a worse team on the ice for one game thing is glaring because Hackstall justifies other things as, like, if, if this was just a purely we're developing guys kind of thing, yeah, yeah. like, if you were just like, this is what this season is. Like, I kind of thought it was coming in. This is a transition year. We're just going to draft and develop guys. Cool. Awesome. But when, like, Steve Mason gets injured one game, has to come out, everybody's talking about how badly his hand is bruised, and then he's going back in the very next game, and everyone's kind of astounded, like, oh man, his hand was screwed up yesterday, I, I, I guess it's alright today, and the coach says, you know, well, when he's asked, what about Stolarz, like, you, you didn't think, he's, he goes, it's just about winning games at this point. So, a couple things about that. It was not the next game because New Year's Eve did happen in between. It was not the next day. It was the next game. It was the next game. But it was not the next day. It was the following game. It wasn't a back to back. But they said the next the the day after his hand was screwed up. Like it was very badly bruised. 
Well, I thought it was a back-to-back, and I, I lost my mind for like a solid five minutes, and then Charlie had to remind me that it was not a back-to-back, and, and that New Year's Eve did happen in between. So I, I don't ever agree with starting a goalie on back-to-back nights. This one I didn't love only because he was injured. He had to leave the game. Yeah, just to go back to Haxtell for a second, because I think we're going to... We get, weren't done. Yeah, we're, we're going to be... Well, we're going to continue it's this. It's going to be but, a lot of that. But I, I'll say this about... like I mentioned about confidence. It's all about confidence in your coach. If you have confidence that Haxtell's player development strategies are good, then you have confidence that this was the right move for Travis Connecting at this time. That's really what, what the whole thing boils down to. It just gets hard. And I think it's totally understandable why it would get hard. It gets hard for a lot of fans to have that kind of faith in their coach when their coach is scratching Travis Konechny and then in the same breath giving Andrew McDonald top pair minutes. That's and, the one. And using Braden Shen as a second-line center. Like, like there's other moves in the lineup that people... Well, it's not the same thing. It all kind of gets thrown into this, do I trust Dave Haxtell bucket? And right now, there's reason for people to kind of be iffy on the guy. And then when he throws a move like scratching Travis Konechny, it's just like tossing more fuel on the fire. And I really think that's part of what's driving the anger that are coming yeah. from Oh, None of this base. is happening in a vacuum. I fully understand it. I, 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 you mentioned Sean Couturier and Braden Shen. I want to ask that next. Um... So I just figured when Couturier came back into the lineup and he's in that he's on that third line, they don't immediately put him back with uh, with Konechny and Simmons. It's okay, we're going to ease him back. He's been out a little while. Shen, no, he's not good at five on five. We've established that, but he's he's performing overall pretty well. Uh, let's just leave things the way they are. Let's ease Couturier back in. Well, Couturier's playing twenty minutes a night. And he's he's assumed he's reassumed that role of second line center, but with you know bottom six wingers. What is can 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 anyone explain it to me? Yeah, why why is that? What, like, is it, it the only justification <laughs> I can think? I don't of. even know what I'm trying to ask. I'm no, no, like, no, I know. No, I get it's, it. It's a good question. What the hell is going on? The only justification <laughs> I can think Dave of. Why is Dave is the question? <laughs> what are you doing, Dave yeah. Axtell? Mm-hmm. Um, the only justification I could think of is that. <laughs> If he if he has designs on using Gatorade as a quote unquote shutdown center, you maybe don't want to give him Travis Konechny and Wayne Simmons as your wingers because neither of them are that great defensively. And maybe the thought process is okay, we got our top line that's really good or should be really good. Then we have <laughs> should be. then we have our second line of Shen. Konechny Simmons, which is our like sheltered scoring line, and then we have our shutdown line score. of Reed, Couturier, and Weiss, all three of whom have been very good defensively this year. Now, there's been Weiss hasn't done pretty much anything offensively. Couturier has been spotty, and Reed is Reed. But you can be confident that they're all going to be to play well defensively, and maybe that's the thought process. I think they'd be better off using Couturier as the center between Konechny and Simmons because I just think. You he's give, a better player. Yeah, he's a better player. You give him wingers, then they can score and play defense because Couturier is good enough to kind of cover for those guys. But that could be the thought process. And it you'll see, I think we'll be able to see if that is the thought process more so during this homestand because that'll be when Haxtell can actually match lines well. And we can see if maybe they're using Couturier at like the way they use Belmar against McDavid. Like basically just... A, you know, attach at the hip to whatever to the step on line. It's or still funny to hear. Yeah, that's the way they use Belmar against the best player in the league. <laughs> that's so fun. Uh, Dave, I love you. I love you, Dave. Keep up the good work. I just I've got no confidence because I haven't I haven't seen enough. I haven't seen enough to have the confidence. 
I, I will say I did miss Matt Reed. I didn't think I missed Matt Reed as much as I did. Same. I had the same feeling Meet yesterday. That, he, was, he was on a penalty kill last night, and I was just watching him be real aggressive at the top, like force some bad passes, get a steal, and I was like... He is just a really like he's yeah. a solid lateral skater and he is really good defensively. Like he's a guy like I criticized over the last two years, just like what the hell happened to just the release on his wrist shot. Yeah. If, if nothing else, the release just disappeared. Like he used to beat goalies regularly, five hole over the glove, and it just went away. And you know, that kind of sucked, but <laughs> <laughs> And that was bad. But was his good. his defensive game is strong. Like you you realize it when you haven't seen him for a while and he comes back and just it's a different mentality. Yeah, and and credit Reed because this is a guy who had a weird way to the you know, to get to the NHL. He was a twenty five year old rookie out of a Minji state, not exactly a hockey powerhouse, who got signed as a college free agent, and turned himself into a twenty goal scorer. And then when the scoring started to tail off, he kind of reinvented himself as like this defensive stalwart. Like he was always with Couturier and they always quote unquote had like the shutdown pairing. They never really drove play. They were like at best break even. And now Reed is one of the best play drivers on the team. So you can kind of accept the fact that, okay, he's not going to score me 20 goals anymore because in a third line role, he's going to produce positive outcomes just by playing really good defense. And it's cool to see a guy, you know, maybe recognize his newfound limitations and adjust to, you know, to counteract them. Speaking of uh, of, of limitations, <laughs> Uh, I have to I have to go back a couple of shows and reverse an opinion of mine, and I have to agree with Miss Steph Driver. Oh, oh my boy. God, what's going to happen? <sighs> Nick Schultz is better than Andrew McDonald. Hey, hey how about how about? And I'll say that, that I'll say and that, that. That's being said that Nick Schultz is not a good hockey oh, no, no, player no, no, no. either. No, no, Nick Schultz. But Nick Schultz, like, okay, they're both. They're both, neither of them can move the puck. Yep. Neither of them should have, neither of them should really even have a stick. It's, it's <laughs> why? Who cares? Uh, You're just going to fling your body on yeah, the ice anyway. So whatever. But at least, okay, they're both, they're both defensive defensemen. At least is Nick McDonald Schultz is good on defense. Is, 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 is McDonald really a defensive defenseman? McDonald is a defensive defenseman who's terrible at defense. defense. <laughs> and sometimes like, I have to step back and I'm like watching a game with a couple of friends. It's over the holidays. We're all together watching the games. And they're just like... McDonald is always standing in front of the net, either screening Mason or just not defending his guy. And you look at him and it's like, what, where did you learn this defensive tactic of doing nothing? At what point... <laughs> the defensive tactic of standing. At what point in your career were you like, if I just stand directly in front of the goalie, regardless of where the for- forwards are, I'll be fine. Well, you see, Bill, a coach once told him to do that and it worked. So then he decided it was a brilliant <laughs> like did, coaching Did he once tool. block a shot with an empty net and be like... This is the I, I got a game puck, so I'm doing this forever. I, I, he is so freaking bad, and this is one of the reasons I get why people will look at other moves Hackstall makes and be like, "This guy's an idiot." Because I got a I got a tweet I got a tweet this week that said Baruby's better than than uh well, than Hackstall. Let's not. Get, I mean, that's, carried away here. That's, that's a stretch. But yeah. Hal Gill isn't in the lineup. The comparisons. Oh, oh. Hal oh. Gill isn't in the lineup, but. Hal Gill isn't one of Hackstall's options. And if he was, I don't know what he would do. I don't know either. I, I do know he's not using Nick Schultz. And he is using Andrew McDonald 22 minutes a game. I will say I think that is... 
he's just capable. He can skate those minutes and not die. I don't think Nick, Nick Schultz, Schultz could play twenty two oh. minutes. No, no, he he definitely can. I mean, he's older. You don't think so? He's old. Even last year, the Schultz, I believe, had the. I think least, Nick Schultz uh, gets winded like I do, tying his skates. Yeah, he's he's an older guy. He's a veteran. I, I think even last season, he had the least five on five minutes per game of any of the defensemen. Like they were sheltering him even last year. They were just using him in like a weird low minute but defensive role where he was still taking hard minutes even though he wasn't playing as much as you'd expect a guy taking hard minutes to to play (laughs) it's it's so weird with mcdonald because on one hand you assume that you you talked about how hackstall and hextall seem to be kind of in lockstep or at least Mm -hmm. if they're not that hextall's very good at acting like they are yeah okay and you have to believe that hextall at least to a degree, knows that McDonald isn't that good. Granted, one of the reasons why they sent him down last year was because it was asset management. They knew no one was going to claim him. But you don't send down a guy who you think is a top four defenseman on an NHL team, regardless of what kind of asset management protection strategy you want to have. If you think Andrew McDonald is a top four NHL defenseman, you keep him up and you figure out some other way to to. You, you know, clear cap space. Yeah, that's, that's they, they, the thing. They, they sent him down because they looked at him and said, he's a third-pair NHL defenseman. We have four other third-pair NHL defensemen, but this guy won't get claimed, so send him down. And now he's gone from being viewed as a third-pair NHL defenseman to being viewed as a top-pair NHL defenseman. It's just, it's 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 bizarre to me, the, the shift, and I don't know if this is just... Hextall likes him, and Hextall's like, "Well, he's my coach. I'm I gotta back him." That's I can't believe if Hextall had like a, a steadfast opinion about like there is no way Andrew McDonald should be playing these minutes. Then the coach who he hired out of college, who nobody knew was a candidate, uh, has the cachet to be like, "Yeah, I'm playing him. I'm playing well, him that's with Ivan Provorov." Happening. Well, Hextall strikes me as a guy who his management strategy is basically. I hire the people who I think are best, and I let them do their job. I was going to say, he yeah. seems like a guy that's not going to interfere with his coach. Exactly. So If, if this is his guy, he's going to let him do what he wants to do with the lineup, and we're going to all have to live with it. And and not not everybody does that. I mean, look what's going down. Looks what's going on down in Florida. Mm-hmm. They fired a coach Ooh. because he wasn't doing what left the him behind. Yeah, we left him behind. But I mean, there there are other ways to do it. I think Hextall's strategy is more, I hired this guy, I trust this guy, even if I disagree with lineup decisions occasionally, I'm not going to rock the boat without consulting and agreeing with him, and I'm sure they have discussions. I just think it's weird. I wouldn't think it was weird if McDonald was playing third pair of minutes. I think it's weird that he's been playing first pair of minutes for a month, considering the fact that he was sent down last year. It just it strikes me as very strange. And there are more and better defensemen this year than there were last year. That too. And, and by that, I mean Ivan Profrov. It's who I love. I just can't... I can't... Rep my. Whenever I try to defend Dave Haxtell, like I did in the beginning of this show... Yeah, you come right back around, right? This one thing. It's this one thing more than anything. It's The yeah. Andrew McDonald playing these minutes with this guy who is, by all accounts... Ivan Provorov is very good. Is this true? <laughs> Big like, if true, <laughs> like and to th- like and so okay. We've 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 got this nineteen year old defenseman. He might have been able to do this last year, and we were just like, ah, we're we're, we're kind of jammed up. And then to be, and we're gonna put him with this guy who ever anyone who's ever watched a minute of hockey can tell he's not that good. He's in fact bad. I just can't wrap my head around this strategy. Well, in I I, I wouldn't even say in his defense because this should have been done a long time ago, but. 
McDonald did play the fifth most amount of minutes against um, against the Ducks. Okay. So maybe things are starting to come around. One thing that that Panaccio, Tim Panaccio, did did kind of let slip the date, like when they announced that Gudis was missing the game. Panaccio basically was like, "Yeah, Gudis has been banged up for a while. He's just been playing through it." So maybe they've been sheltering. Yeah, maybe the. the they would prefer to have the top pair be Proveroff Gudis, but they didn't want to give Gudis those kind of minutes because he's playing injured. That at least would be a justifiable reason. I didn't see that. That makes me feel a little yeah, bit better. Maybe. At the same time, I'd still if if you can't if it can't be Gudis, I don't think McDonald's your next choice. But <laughs> at least that explains to me maybe why it wasn't Gudis Proveroff as your top pair, which just makes too much sense as a top pair. It's it's the the ideal top pair is your probably your two best five on five defensemen, right there, okay. and they're your top pair. That's generally what you like to do with your top pair. You yeah. put your two best guys, you put them against great players, and they they hold their own and drive flight. That's and what you do. even if it's like okay, these if Provorov and Gudis are our two best defensemen, and we don't want to put them together, like all right, we'll split them up so that we have a little bit more even distribution. How is the idea that like Andrew McDonald and like Brandon Manning should be getting these minutes? Woo, yeah, Brandon but, Manning too. Yeah, it's it's the whole thing is I. I it's it's, not it's, great. it's a whole bunch of little things. Yeah. And this yes, next that, thing, the, the more thing. the more you look at the little things, you realize this does not seem to add up to a good team run by a good coach. Yeah, and that's the thing. There was a lot of talk on Twitter about how you can't automatically assume that scratching Konechny for one game is bad, especially if it teaches him some kind of a lifelong lesson. But like, It's fine. Like, I agree. Okay, fine. But like you just said, this isn't happening in a vacuum, and there are a lot of weird decisions that have happened before this and since this that are, make you question what the actual fuck this man is doing. And just the idea that you would, okay, Konechny comes out of the lineup, this is... Uh, this could be for his development. This could be a long-term idea. But then we're going to put in Boyd Gordon. Yeah, yeah. That's Nobody what, else? And that's what makes people g- get nuts about that kind and, of stuff anyway. If Taylor Lear were still with the team, and it was like, hey, guess what? Taylor is, is working his ass off. He deserves the ice time. Connect me, for whatever reason, you need a night off. I, Konechny's fault, coach's fault, we already had that argument. For whatever reason, Konechny, you need the night off, we're throwing Taylor Lear in there. Everyone would go, all right, well, this is, it's Boyd Gordon, who's terrible. (laughs) You know what else we didn't discuss? Lubby was also scratched that night. Yeah, that was the weird thing. Like, technically, Boyd Gordon didn't come in for for Konechny. Roffel came in for Konechny, and then Louimov came out for Gordon, which was also inexplicable I, yeah. it might be one of those classic like well we need a defensive guy and gordon's defensive even though there you, know, you can be a quote-unquote defensive guy and not actually be any good at defense. we say it all the time <laughs> <laughs> number one defenseman andrew mcdonald defensive like guy. scott lawton you mean i mean he's no, not he's not a defensive guy he's just not that good at defense and this, <laughs> i will I doesn't will, score as much as an offensive guy you'd hope i was i said this on the uh the philly uh, sports table podcast today this the team i really did like the process against the ducks i mean they had 55 shots obviously but yeah. we've talked about how this team is just no good in its own zone and like to, granted everyone wants to play on offense if you're in your own zone you're like by definition not playing well but this team just really struggles in coverage in its own zone no, that, that, that everybody all lines that first goal like to, to break down that first goal here's because i i was looking at it when i was writing my observations today and it was 
McDonald and Delzado both screwed up to such a ridiculous degree. So Del- McDonald, they were, neither of them were in the screen. So McDonald gets pulled <laughs> pulled with a cycling four all the way up to the top of the zone, which is already something as a defenseman you generally don't want to do. If a guy's skating all the way up to the top of the zone, you usually switch off and let a forward pick him up, and you slide back down. So McDonald screws that up. Then Delzado, who's now left as the only quote unquote defenseman down low, then decides, you know what? I'm going to attack the guy on the boards and what does that leave down low Yakov Voracek who by the way plays wing he's yeah. not a defenseman <laughs> he's even doing that low. his job he's the only guy down low because the other two defensemen decided hey I'm just gonna go attack somebody no, the, and not get the puck like the still shot right as the goal <laughs> is going in the net there are there there's there's six players and none of them are Philadelphia Flyers defensemen. No, it's it's, it's How unbelievable. How about that? But, uh, are Here we... come the Flyers. Here come the Flyers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I. I... But like Me those, too. I don't those, remember what the point was. Well, those noises have been my reaction yeah. over the past few games. Like this has not been a good stretch. No. After oh, no, but no. last night, we're, I know we're not quite there yet. But the last uh, the the Ducks game, they had the fifty five shots. I will. I enjoyed very much their strategy last night after saying we have to go defensive against the Sharks. All right, then you're going to lose two nothing instead of six four. Whatever. Right. Like they played high event hockey against the Ducks. That was a lot of fun to watch. They gave up some chances the other way. But they give up chances when they play it safe. So yeah. you might as well yeah. give your chance. You give no, yourself a, a chance to score a goal, which uh, 55 shots, you should score. Yeah. Yeah. And the Flyers win that game probably seven, eight times out of 10 times. If they, not if they, for they the play. great coaching yeah. of Randy Carlisle. Or oh, George's Gibson being really good. He's yeah. a really good goalie. Yeah, sure. Why not? He played a, very, played a great game. And yeah. like, it happens. It just, it's frustrating when it happens. When you're in the midst of a bad streak, like you're in the midst of a streak where you're not winning games, you're not playing well, you finally play well and you still lose. And it's like you just throw your hands up. What the hell do we do now? And it's the opposite of we talked about during the streak, how they react when it ends. You don't want to give that ground back. Well, they've given quite a bit of it back and what they've done. And then they play. And but when they're doing it, it's like they're not playing well some nights and winning. Okay, last night they played really well and lost. The good news is, is that. They're pretty close to full strength now, and as as I mentioned, like McDonald didn't get a ton of minutes at five on five. Couturier's back, Reed's back, Gudis is back. Like they have pretty darn close to a full lineup now, and you hope that they can kind of use that Ducks game, even though they didn't win. They they know they played well. Everybody after the game said, "Look, we know we played well." Haxtell was happy with the way they played. You hope they can kind of use that as a springboard into the next you know three, four, five games coming home and hopefully can maybe if not make up for this bad streak at least just put it in the rearview mirror and start you know winning more games than you lose all right are we ready to talk about steve mason yes always every day get ready for this charlie oh boy yeah he's ready to say i don't have much to say about goalies they're they're weird (laughs) i'll tell you what i'm (laughs) i'll tell you what i'm ready to say about steve mason i have been uh Maybe not a Steve Mason defender, because I criticize him when he plays poorly, and everyone's like, but he plays well sometimes. And that is the heart of my criticism. The things... Mike Milbury is an asshole. We all agree. We all agree. Like the human... Charlie can't agree. 
because he he's covers a professional. the team. He's yeah. a professional. No, I mean, no, I mean, Bill Meltzer calls Milbury an asshole. So if Bill, yeah. if Bill can call somebody ah, an asshole, legend. so can I. Yeah, sure. He's like the most professional guy in the press box. Mike Milbury is an asshole. He, he says is. a lot of things that make zero sense. And he's dumb. Like he is dumb. He made a lot of really bad decisions as a GM. He sure. is dumb and bad. There's a lot. There's a lot of bad front office guys who make uh, good analysts. Bill Milbury isn't one of them. Definitely but not. His analysis of Steve Mason is mostly correct. What does he say about him, really? Good, not great. That's 100% true. He's pretty good. When he's hot, he's right up there. Well, I would also when like to say, when he says good, not great, it's a very begrudging good. Like, it's like, okay. uh, he's good, I guess. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was saying not terrible. Yeah, like he's he not hes really not saying this is a good goaltender. Yeah. This and is, all right, he's not the worst in the league. Inconsistency plagues him. And that has been, while overall his numbers with the Flyers haven't been bad, he just goes through stretches where he is not good. First 10 games of this year, 874 save percentage. Following 14 games, 923. Last eight, 902. And that includes the monster game he played against Washington. Take that one out. Just look at, say, like the last five, 879. He just has these crazy ups and downs. And while I do believe you don't need Carrie Price or Tuka Rask or Henrik Lundqvist or any of those guys to win a cup, you need one capable of getting hot and going on a stretch, which Mason is. Yes. But you never know. He's not a competitive advantage really on a nightly basis. No, yes, he is. He That he, third goal he, against the Ducks was one of the worst goals I've ever seen. It was not a good goal. He led in a sure. center ice goal in the playoffs. Henrik Lundqvist did that this year, and you said Henrik Lundqvist is the epitome of great goaltender in the league. Henrik Lundqvist did that That's this the thing, year. I think... Oh, put together a resume like Henrik Lundqvist, Steve Mason, and so then it'll back off. I've never he's done... Going to, he's I mean, I've never good. looked into it, but okay, I'm willing so to... so he's not great. I'm willing to bet that if you broke down the season of just about any goaltender in this league, you're gonna find chunks of streakiness. I think goalies are streaky by nature. It's what they do. They're Like Charlie said, they're weird. They don't make any sense. You can't figure out what's going on with them. Which is why we have the term when the goalie is getting hot or when the goalie's standing on his head because right. they're they unpredictable They get streaky, like yeah. He his his hot Sorry, streaks Kelly. are excellent, no, okay. but he doesn't provide a steadiness in the net on a nightly basis. And, and I, I guess he could just yeah. cost you a game some nights. He did it in the first part of this season. He did it in the playoffs last year. I, I guess and you don't think Henrik yeah. Lundqvist has ever cost the Rangers a game ever. In his I think career? I bet three out of every four. He's the number one reason they win. So let's there. there there's a stat I'm going to cite. Um, it's created by uh, Nick Mercadante, who writes for Hockey Graphs. Um, basically, the stat is called win threshold for goalies, and what it is is how many, how out of the games that a goalie has played, how many times, what percentage did the goalie perform above average? So you're not talking about how many goals did he give up. We're not talking about things like that. We're talking about did he save more goals than he could be? He could have been reasonably expected to save based upon shot quality metrics. And last year, Steve Mason had a better win threshold percentage than Henrik Lundqvist. Now, I'm not saying Steve Mason is better than Henrik Lundqvist. He's not. Objectively speaking, he's not. And what makes a guy like Henrik Lundqvist great is that he never has bad seasons. Like, you look at his his numbers over the course of his career, and every year he's over 915. Every year he's around 920. And that's why he's a great goalie. That's why Carey Price is a great goalie. Because Carey Price, ever since he got really good, has stayed really good. Mason is not on their level. He's not. And if you want to say that... And I don't think you need one yeah, of them to win a cup. Like, if, if you no. want to say that they are great... And that's what you're going to categorize them as, and you say, okay, well, in that case, Mason is good. 
that I, I, I'd agree with that. I would probably put it more as Lundquist and Price are Hall of Fame great. Mason is a, is above average. Is Corey Crawford Hall of Fame great? No. no. Corey Crawford is probably just great. Corey Crawford in four of the last five seasons has a save percentage over 920. Yeah, he's a very good goalie. I wouldn't put him on the on the same pedestal as definitely Lundquist, probably not Price, but he's close. Would I put Mason above Crawford? No, I wouldn't. But I think Mason is I, I, I think he's a top ten he's goalie. A second tier goalie. He's probably in like between like six and ten. This year he's not playing that well. Overall, over the course of the season, he's not playing that well. But I can reasonably expect he's going to get better as the season goes on because his past implies he will. And that's with goalies, that's like that's all you can really do is you you look at what they've done in the past and you say, Okay, well we can expect he'll probably play closer to that. And is he going to go through bad stretches? Yeah. But as Kelly said, most goalies do. Even Lundquist. I mean Lundquist was benched for their backup like two weeks ago. Because and he still has a nine sixteen save yeah, because percentage. Because he's a great goalie. Ranta was just playing out of his mind. He's a great goalie. Like, I mean, no one's disagreeing yeah. that Henrik yeah. Lundqvist yeah. is a great goalie. I mean, I mean, he Mason is. is not on that level. Rangers no. fans would and disagree no one with that. He does. Is true. Yeah, and yeah, I don't think any of us here would argue that Mason is, you know, a top three goaltender in this league. He's not, but definitely, like Charlie said, top ten. I don't think he's top ten. Which who else? Who would you put one? ahead of him? <laughs> See that it's hard. It's hard to just spout that off. I know. I and I Devin Dubnik. I I probably couldn't name ten goalies right now off the top of my head. Um, Brighton Holtby. I mean, there's just a number of goalies who are much better than he is. I'm not saying he's bad. And I think if given the right team and given him playing at his top level, they could very well. He could be a Stanley Cup champion goaltender. I'm just saying on this team, he doesn't. He's not going to be the reason. That they win or advance or go on a run, it will take more than that. And he well, isn't playing great. He's just not great. That's and I don't know how else. I, to I, I, I think that's fine, but I, I, I caution going from he's not great to he's not worth keeping. Like that. That's the that's the step. Uh, and, and if 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 the constant because that's one of the problems with I think with Philadelphia and goaltenders is that for so long. Philadelphia has been chasing this, you know, this elusive great goaltender. We've been chasing Marty Brodeur. And you're not going to get it unless you get really lucky. But you can survive with good goaltending and you can win with good goaltending and you don't need to toss away a good goaltender for the dream that Anthony Stollars might be a great goaltender. I was asked on the on the Philly Sports Table show today, what do I think the long-term future of Steve Mason is? And I said, I mean, long-term is a relative term. I believe he's going to be extended two or three years because we have a number of goalies in our system, but God knows when goalies are ready in this world. I agree with that. I, I see him like a two, three, maybe, yeah. maybe four-year deal at most. Another, the the yeah, last one was four, too. I believe, the last extension he yeah. got from us. So three, four, three, four so yeah. like maybe one left and then a three-year extension, something like that. But I could see it being like a medium-term extension and the eggs not all being in the Mason basket. And I'm totally cool with that. I also believe, for the time being, he is their best option. Now, if there's an if there's another goalie out there as a free, if he's still not signed, and there's another goalie out there as a free agent who's there's gonna co- who's gonna cost time. the same, and he's maybe a little better, I wouldn't be opposed to bringing in someone else either. I would. Or if he's gonna be cheaper, and we're gonna spend that money elsewhere, I'd be fine with that. It's just, yeah, it's just hard as who's out there. I like, just think a middle-tier yeah, goalie yeah. is a middle-tier goalie. Like the, like, the big one that you're going to hear a lot is Bishop, 
I don't, I don't want Bishop because I, I don't want to spend that money on yeah, a goaltender. Yeah, that's the thing. He's right. going to cost more, and he's a monster in terms of size, and those goalies tend to break down faster than the smaller, more compact I'm not. I'm not looking to go out and get one of those top-tier goaltenders. I'm just saying if someone is going to be within the margin of error of Steve Mason and cost a million less, why not? Do those people exist? No. Do those, those you're that making things exist. up? That's like that's a unicorn. Unless you want another Michael Neuvert who gets injured and then is gone for months of the season. Which or, I mean, or, he's been okay. Or you want to take a risk on a guy who maybe has or, or maybe hasn't no. played as much, but like has shown promise in limited minutes, and you're like, okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to sign you to a kind of like what what. That Toronto did with Frederick Anderson, like they basically said, "Okay, you showed promise in Anaheim. We're going to trade for you. We're going to lock you up because we think you can be the guy." It's really the only like other option you're going to have past Mason because anybody else that has established himself as the guy are going to cost a lot of money. I just think if you look at like the last ten Cup winners and you look at the goalies on those teams, Steve Mason is good enough to win the Stanley Cup. He's he's enough for us if we have the right pieces to get where we need to go and that's like all that matters. But yeah. I think every goalie pretty much except for like the bottom 10 in the league with the right team in front of them. Like I saw Antti Niemi win a cup. I, I think you, I, I saw think Michael Layton in the top half. I saw Michael Layton almost win a cup. But I, I think like, the, the reason why Niemi won a cup was because he was against Michael Layton and how right. many <laughs> how many opportunities do you have to play against an AHL goalie because in the Stanley Cup finals? Jeff Carter shot high and wide. Oh, that's Jeff. what happened. Are we uh, are we ready to talk about Gostas Bear? I mean, we've got like a minute. No, we've got four, four minutes. Uh, Charlie, tell us about the World Juniors. What's going on? Oh, I have bad. good news. Yeah, everyone talk about World I Juniors. Think the U.S. won. The U.S. won, but Woo! guess who scored the first goal for the Czech Republic against the Canadians tonight? Kasha? He did. Oh, there we and go. And they're tied right now. We played against his brother we last did. night. There was, a, there was a case on the... Kasha, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. His, brother. his brother. I thought they were pronouncing it Kasha. They were saying like, Kasha. I think like, it's Kasha. There's a Kasha's bakery by me that I love, <laughs> and I was like, okay, now I know how to pronounce it. It's like Kasha's bakery, but, uh, but they might be wrong. No, he's sure. he's been fine. It's he's weird because he he kind of <laughs> did the same thing last year. Like if you watch the games that the Czech Republic played last year, he looked really good in them. He was very noticeable. He didn't score that much. And this year, you said he scored the goal tonight, which is great, but it's not like he's racking up points. He's just looking good when you watch him play. And not to be mean, but when you're five foot ten, one sixty, you have to look you have to do more than just look good. Like you're not going to you're not going to succeed as a guy who's that small in the NHL if you're not actually scoring points. No, you need to be you can't just like look good. Because you're going to get the crap beaten out of you if you're that small. So that, that that's my concern with him. I just don't know if the production's ever going to get. When there. people talk about how the league is getting smaller, like when you see a guy uh, like Goudreau or Kane, it's like yes, but you realize those are like the most talented yeah. players in the yes. league, yeah. and yeah. that's why they're able to succeed. Like it's not like well, because the league is getting quicker. Sure, so they, yeah. they've got the speed. But like even plus. like Patrick Kane, MVP, he has to be MVP to even be in the league. Yeah. If it's him as a middle six four. Forward or a guy, well, then they're not giving a lineup four, spot. Yeah, or yeah. a guy four inches taller than him. Size matters. That's just what happens. Yeah. So that, I mean, the, the guy Heard who, it here first, folks. There we go. The guy who I've been most impressed Steph's in, in the tournament. This. Actually, <laughs> the the two guys. Um, Mikhail Vorobiev has been awesome. He's been on the top line for Russia. He has eight assists and I believe five games. 
He's been great, and he's he how great's it going to be when the Flyers are like fifty percent Russian? Mm. That's that'll, that'll be just fun. rolling over. That'll, that'll, be, that'll be very fun. But he's been to me, he's been a revelation. And I guess maybe we should have expected it because he was in such a good role for them. But he's looked really good, and the Flyers need center prospects. Yeah. They just don't have many of them, and it looks like he's developing into a legitimate mid-tier center prospect, which is a gap in their prospect pool, so that's been great to see. What does his timeline look like? When would we see him over here? So somebody told me online that his contract with the KHL actually expires, his KHL team actually expires at the end of this year, Ooh. but that doesn't mean he's going to come over. Like There's a good chance that they're going to try to re-sign him, and the Flyers may be okay with that. Well, we need to send Provorov over there and be like, look how great this place is. It's what's his first name? Mikhail. Okay, the different one. Apparently, there's a, there's a singer, oh. Alexi, which I got really confused about. <laughs> but um, sorry. But anyway, like he could come over. He he would be allowed to play in the AHL next year if he wanted to sign his entry level contract. I don't know if that's the direction he's going to take, but he could. And then Felix Sandstrom for Sweden has maybe been the best goalie in the tournament. He's been fantastic. Should I be panicked about Carter Hart? No, because I'm panicked. We predicted that was this. my question yeah, no. <laughs> that Canada was going to eat him up, chew him up, and spit pressure? him out. Yeah, we know that because of a of a week long tournament. I think so. One, one game, his pressure. whole career is over. Yeah, yeah. he's done. He'll, Are you panicked, Bill? I'm totally panicked. He's, eight, he's so 18 panicked. years old. He'll almost certainly be the starter for Canada next year in the World Juniors, and hopefully, he'll play better then. That's what we said this year. From Charlie. from what I gather. He wasn't playing all that well in the lead up. So this may just be, you know, he's kind of in one of those down periods. Great. Another inconsistent, good but not great all goalies. All goalies are inconsistent. I hate you so much. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, Vorobioff and Sandra to me have been the best. Myers was awesome until he, until Luke Cunning Ooh, decided to be an asshole. That was bad. Yeah, that was yeah. very bad. Concussion. He already had a concussion earlier this season. Yeah. Supposedly they're saying he's feeling better. I want him to not play another game in yeah, this just, tournament. Yeah, just sit him just down. Don't. Yeah. 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 He, he already proved he's really good. I want good. him to come out and yeah. fight Cunning. <laughs> Teach him a lesson. I, I, I liked him in the draft. I liked him in the draft. I actually wanted the flyer. Flyers to take him, and now he's dead to me. <laughs> dead to me, too, even though he's on and, Team USA. Uh, uh, Rubstov, just real quick. Yeah, not, not too much from him. He's, he, was, he, he was the fourth liner. Yeah, he's in the bottom six, and I don't know if... It's just tough. It's tough to evaluate. He's off the he's, juice, man. Well, he's not getting the minutes that would allow him to really flourish, nor with the line mates. And he also just seems to be playing a very safe style. So I don't know if that's speaking to his lack of talent or speaking to him just not trying, just desperately trying to stay in the lineup and stay in his coach's graces. You just don't know. That was a really fast hour, guys. I I'll can't say. believe I, I looked at that. that clock. I was like, that ain't right. And I was like, I oh, don't know it is. Oh, it is. And, and, uh, we, so, we talked a lot about Dave Haxtall. Well, it's, I mean, that's going to be the storyline moving forward. It's his management of this team for the rest of the season. And that is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio. Uh, be sure to check us and rate us on iTunes, please, and thank you. Uh, thanks again to Wildfire. Awesome, awesome people here. Great hospitality. Uh, have a great week, Philly. Happy New Year.
Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>